Chapter 35 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 35 Mr. Pinch and Company. That evening, Hilda returned from her week's employ at the Lake Street store. As Mabel heard her step ascending the stair, she in part anticipated the tidings brought her. Between Hilda's heart and heels, a peculiar sympathy manifested itself, and her sister, in this instance, as in many a former one, judged of the one by the other. In fact, the young girl's step dragged wearily enough on her approach to the presence of her loved Mabel and little Lily, and when she finally presented herself in the room, her countenance bore evidence of the heavy heart within. "'Oh, Mabel, Mabel,' she said, as she threw herself down beside her sister's. "'I'm not going to despond. I'm not going to give way to disappointment. But the temptation's greater than I have ever felt yet. I did so hope to have something worth bringing home to you. Everything did seem so fair and promising. This Mr. Pinch, he's well-named. He'd pinch any poor girl black and blue to get work out of her. He's pinched hundreds till their hearts ache this very week.' He put such a splendid advertisement in the paper, and he has such a fine store, and he spoke so gentlemanly and fair. Why, who could think? She stopped, covered her cold hands over her face, and burst into passionate weeping. My poor, poor Hilda, said Mabel, twining her arms about her. Don't give up to trouble this way. It was such a good resolve you made not to despond, you know. Stand by it, my sister. Stand by it. The disappointment's mostly for you, Mabel, you and darling Lily, sobbed the poor girl. I wanted to help you, to do my share, you know, to to let you see I was willing to, to make some sacrifice. Mabel drew the head of her sister down upon her breast and pressing her own warm cheek against the cold one, now all bedewed with tears, whispered, "'To let me see you were willing to make sacrifice, Hilda? Don't I know you have sold your nice dress and shawl to pay our rent? The only decent clothes you had, my sister, the only things fit to keep out the cold of this bleak winter. Oh, Hilda, Hilda!' The young girl raised her head and looked into her sister's face. "'You've found it out, Mabel. You've missed them from the closet. Yes, my darling, true, true sister. I know now how Brumbley was paid. I've discovered your secret. And you're crying? Why, Mabel, how unlike you! At the thought of your loss, my sister, can I help it? Look at this miserable dress you have on, this poor, worn sack. Are they fit for trying weather like this? Those things were so good, they would have lasted you. They made so much of your comfort and respectability. And, Mabel, they are better, far better than anything you had, and so I really had no right to them. No, Mabel, dear, every time I put on that dress and shawl, I felt them a reproach to me. And until this disappointment at pinches, I have seemed happier and lighter since they were gone. Mabel, Mabel, on the alternate Sunday, when you went to church, 
dressed in those old faded clothes. I thought of myself the Sunday before, with that fine, glossy black merino and comfortable shawl, and almost hated myself that they were mine. Could I have persuaded you to wear the shawl, Mabel, it would have been something, but you wouldn't. And now it's done its last good service for us both. I don't regret it. I never shall regret it. It's been in my mind like a beginning of better things for me, Mabel, so you must make light of it as I do. I never, never can make light of it, my Hilda, replied Mabel, as she once more laid her cheek to her sister's. It has grieved me, yet made me happy, too. Mabel, it was worth doing, if only to have you say that and look so approvingly. Come, Hilda, dear, and let me kiss you, too, put in little Lily's plaintive voice. You've paid the rent with your only good dress and shawl, she added, as she twined her arms about her sister's neck. You've kept away that ugly, cruel Mr. Brumbley, so he can't, for a whole month, take my bed and turn me out. Good, good Hilda. My darling, I'd part with anything, my very life, to save you from that terrible thing again. You shall have all my peaches, cried the child quickly. You and Mabel that are so good, and only have dry bread and potatoes. The peaches shan't be kept for me any more. You shall have them all. She ceased, and her eyes grew solemn as they remained fixed on those of Hilda. Then, drawing the head of the latter close to her breast, she whispered, Yes, Hilda, we're all right for a month, and don't tell Mabel. I sometimes think, after, that I shall never want but a little bed under, you know, beside father's and mother's, with grass growing over, and a pretty mountain ash for shade. Hilda raised her head, with a startled look into the pale, wan little face, so like death already, only for the pain lines, as Lily's good angel had said then strained the child again to her breast. Had it come to her for the first time, the thought how surely the precious one was passing from them? Was it a new picture presented her, the little grass-grown mound beside that one where already slept the parents, gone before? Hush, hush, Hilda, don't let Mabel hear. Don't cry neither, Hilda. For it don't make me cry. I often think of it and never cry. The pains, you know, are so bad. And then we are so very, very poor. And dear Mabel has such a hard time with me. And so, altogether, darling, when I think of our good, kind Savior, ready to take me and stop my pains, and dear mother, and the other good angels. Why, why, it don't seem it could come a bit too soon. It may be well to state here the circumstances of Hilda's disappointment in the firm of Pinch and Company. 
Mr. Pinch had promised the applicants for employment brought to his store by his advertisement a fair, nay, a high price for their labor. Although no amount was specified, each poor girl was willing to believe that the promises held out would be fulfilled, that a firm of such respectability would scorn to defraud poor, unprotected sewing girls. These poor girls were required to work ten hours a day, and expected to make twenty-five pairs of overalls in that time. Hard work and close hours. But then, the pay was to be good, and this was an incentive that nerved each to her task. In the home of each, there was a grim necessity that permitted no thought of rest. However, the overtaxed frame required it. No thought to spare muscle or sinew. The struggle was for the bread to eat and the rag to wear, and these must be had, oh yes, they must be had, at any cost of unrest and toil. Saturday evening came, and nearly a hundred expectant girls crowded waiting for their pay. Mr. Pinch's foreman presented himself and went through the settling-up business to the last applicant. Some received one dollar and fifty cents, others two dollars, as a remuneration for six days' work, a little over one cent for the making of each pair of overalls. One among the crowd of disappointed souls dared to raise her voice in remonstrance. It was poor Hilda. She spoke to Mr. Pinch himself. She said to him that the small sum paid was insufficient to procure the common necessaries of life. Mr. Pinch stared and shrugged his shoulders. With that shrug, he threw from his respectable self, and from other members of his honorable firm, all stigma of reproach. His foreman, he said, had made out the bills, and the foreman alone was responsible. Nor was it any business of his, Mr. Pinch's, whether or not the sum paid was adequate to expenses of living. That was the affair of the girls themselves, not his. Said Hilda to her sister in conclusion. I know now, Mabel, why I didn't find Mary Griffin and the other girls I know there when I went. They commenced working on Friday, and when they found out, Saturday evening, the deception that had been put on them, of course, they went no more to the store. But what difference does their staying away, or will my staying away, make to this pinch and company? They'll still find plenty of poor girls to answer their advertisement, and to work for them, till the first Saturday evening has come and gone. Then they will stay away to make room for still others. Hilda was silent a while, then added, And now, Mabel, I'm again without work. With all my trying and hoping, I'm but better off one dollar and four shillings than I was this day last week. Perhaps it would have been better to stay even at pinches than to have no place at all. No, my sister, you shall go there no more. You have had a hard week of toil, and we must try and get you something, if not easier, at least that will better compensate you for your labor. Tomorrow you will have that Sabbath day rest you need so much, and on Monday can look round again. I shall make efforts myself on Monday, among my old employers, and do not doubt I shall find something to bring home with me, or at least the promise of something." I have a dollar and seven shillings still in hand, and if we are both successful on Monday, there will soon be more coming in. Then, next Thursday week, you remember, I go to Mrs. Graith again. 
and as I do not fear but our characters will stand all the investigation of the society, I feel quite confident of getting steady work from that time. Make yourself easy, dear Hilda, for we shall be able to keep the wolf from the door. Hilda glanced up quickly from the sewing she was engaged on, the mending of another old dress which was to help take the place of the good one she had parted with. The wolf from the door, she repeated. We have a wolf more savage and cruel than ever walked on four legs to keep off Mabel, old Brumbly. He is never out of my thoughts, rejoined her sister, in a lower tone and with a glance in the direction of the bed. Still, Hilda, our future does not look unpromising. We have time to recover ourselves, and that is everything. But how fast the weeks fly round, Mabel, almost one already gone in our new month. But in little more than one more, there is every likelihood of my securing steady customer work. Hilda glanced up again, hesitated, then once more resumed her sewing. I don't want to discourage you, Mabel, she said at length, yielding to an impulse she appeared unable to resist. But I don't hang the faintest hope on that society of Mrs. Graith's, and when I see you looking for so much from it, I know you'll be disappointed. I've heard all about it since you were there, and didn't mean to tell you, only I must. They say that out of a dozen who apply for aid and come with the best sort of recommendations for character and everything else, not more than one is taken in hand by the members of the society, and perhaps that one only after waiting till all hope is dying out. The ladies of the society are so particular that it is almost as easy for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle as for a poor girl like you however good she may be, to pass their laws and investigations. No, no, Mabel, I can hang some hope on our efforts on Monday, though we have failed in such things before, but none on your chances of success with Mrs. Graith and her society. End of chapter 35